Foodie Show here on You Supported Real Life Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Young, the Catholic Foodie, and today we're going to talk uh, about uh, the, the, the scriptures from uh, the, uh, Mass yesterday, the, the readings from Mass yesterday, the culmination, I guess you'd say, of uh, the Bread of Life discourse. We'll talk about that. We also are going to uh, dive into something of a, a foodie's book of lists. Uh, there's been a number of um, links that have come across my way uh, online recently, uh, different uh, food-related uh, websites that have posted uh, some uh, what I think are very helpful, very, very helpful tips uh, that may help this week. You know, something is happening this week and in most areas of the country, uh, at least for little tykes and uh, and for moms and dads, it's, it's kind of back to school week. You know, that's happening around town. I know that uh, here in my area, a lot of the, you know, the kids are going back to school. And uh, of course, you know, that's kind of, it's, it's mixed. You have mixed feelings. You know, I know I, growing up, I always had mixed feelings about going back to school. On the one hand, it's kind of exciting. It's new and different. Uh, you get to see your friends again. At the same time, it's, uh, well, it's, it's school. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about that. I know for moms and dads, uh, for the most part, uh, it, it can be a good time because you, you know, the school year gives you a certain amount of stability. It gives you a certain amount of, that stability is not the word I'm looking for, structure, I guess. Structure is the word uh, where, you know, your schedule is set. You know where the kids are going to be. You know where you need to be, and uh, and that just sort of helps helps life move along. Uh, we don't have that luxury. Uh, my wife and I. Uh uh, homeschool. And so we have, you know, our kids are there all the time and uh, the, the lines get blurred. You know, sometimes it feels that way between uh, summertime and, and just the rest rest of the year. I, I say that, but now that I'm saying it, it's not, that's not really true because there are plenty of activities that we are involved in as a family. Uh, the kids have a youth group. They have a PE that they do together with a bunch of the other homeschool families in our community. We have, I think, 120 families that are part of a uh, um, and, and an association of uh, Catholic homeschoolers here uh, locally. And uh, so they do a lot of things together. They do, they do classes together. They do uh, PE together and, uh, and field trips and things like that. So there is a lot of structure for us as well. Uh, you know, summertime comes along and all of a sudden you're kind of like, you know, what do we do? <laughs> and now school starts back up and we're kind of like, uh, what do we do? <laughs> so perhaps this week we can do some uh, some more talk about uh, back to school meals. You know, what are you going to do uh, in the evenings to cook? You need to maybe do something that's quick and simple, uh, not something that's going to be too elaborate. And perhaps I can come up with uh, with some some things, some recipes for you uh, a little bit later in the week. Today, though, we are going to be talking about uh, the readings from Mass, and we're also going to be talking about uh, this book of lists. You know, a few weeks ago I did share some ideas with you, some thoughts on uh, ways to save money uh, when cooking. I had this, uh, several tips that I gave you as far as, uh, you know, doing, you know, bulk shopping or, uh, or cooking in bulk was was one of the uh, the, the options there on, on how to save money uh, while, while still putting delicious food down on the table for your family. Uh, well, today we're going to talk about uh, a couple of ideas that are along the same lines of saving money and something you may have never thought about. So that'll be a little bit later in the show today. 
today, you know, we are going to start out talking about uh, the gospel reading in particular uh, from yesterday's Mass. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to first of all thank you for listening to the Catholic Foodie Show. Uh, I, I would I would love for you to be a part of the show. I do have some feedback I'm holding on to. It's not uh, time yet to play that. Uh, I'm going to wait until it's a little bit, a little bit until we have a, a topic that it'll go along with. So uh, I do have some, but... I want to invite you to call in, to leave me a message, to tell me what's going on in your kitchen. If you have a question about food or faith or how the two fit together, I'd love to hear it. I'd love to play your feedback here on the show. You can always call at any hour of the day or night and leave a message at 985-635-4974. That's the voice feedback line, 985-635-4974. I'm not going to answer the phone. You, you, You would call that. You have a little message. I think it may even be garbled of me saying, hey, voice feedback line, leave a message and I'll play it on the show, something to that effect. And uh, that's what you do. You just, uh, you tell me what's going on in your kitchen. You, you If you have questions, you can ask the questions. Uh, if you see something that you think would be a good content for the Catholic Foodie Show, you can offer that as well as a, you know, some sort of a content suggestion. Leave it as a message right there and then I can play it right here on the show. And it makes this thing a little more, you know, uh, conversation. It's like we're, we're having a conversation, which, in fact, uh, we are. Uh, so that's pretty, pretty cool. This is part of uh, this, this new technology, this new media that we have here. And uh, I'm very happy to be coming to you today here on Real Life Radio, which we say is you supported. Uh, hopefully that piques your curiosity, you know, that you supported. Uh, if it does, you can find out why we say it and how it benefits you by going to realliferadio.com and clicking on the Care to Share link. Real Life Radio is a a media ministry caring for those seeking fulfillment by sharing our faith experiences to find a better understanding of what Jesus and his church is offering. I'm very happy as a Catholic foodie to to be here with you uh, on the Catholic Foodie Show on You Supported Real Life Radio. I also do want to give a shout out today before we get started. I want to give a shout out to uh, my friend Diana Von Glan. You may recognize that name. She is known as the Faithful Traveler, the Faithful Traveler. Um, I feel like I've known Diana all my life. <laughs> you know, but the, the funny thing is, is that we just met for the first time. I believe it was only about a year and a half ago. It was February of 2014. It was when I was in the Holy Land on my pilgrimage. Uh, we met there. So that is uh, that is very, very, uh, it's been amazing. You know, meeting her, uh, talking with her, uh, getting to know her better has been, has been awesome. She's a, a real blessing. She does so much. When you think about it, you look at it and see how much she is doing uh, to promote our faith, to share share the faith with others. And uh, she, she has the, the television show that she has produced. Uh, the Faithful Traveler in the Holy Land was the most recent show that she produced, or series, I should say. And uh, you can find out more about her at thefaithfultraveler.com. Uh, but also, this is the whole point of bringing this up. Also, I want to give this shout out to her because she has a brand new uh, radio show right here on Real Life Radio. And uh, you can listen to her. I'm trying to pull up the time. Um, I believe it is at 11 o'clock Eastern. Is that correct? See, I am not Eastern time. So time time uh, slots always give me a, 
um, a hard time. But it is, uh, I think, I believe it's 11 o'clock Eastern right here on Real Life Radio. So give it a listen. I am honored to be one of her standing guests. I join her on Wednesdays where we talk about uh, food and, and travel. You know, uh, when you go on pilgrimage, as an example, you can go to on pilgrimage here, right here in the United States to visit uh to visit uh, cathedrals, to visit shrines, uh, to visit holy places right here in the States. Uh, But you also can go to Canada, you go to Mexico, you can go to Spain, Italy, the Holy Land, Greece, all over the world. And she has stories from everywhere. She's got stories from all over. And, And so on Wednesdays, we talk about uh, travel and and faith and food, you know how that plays together, uh, together with our faith. And uh, we did the first show last Wednesday, and it was sort of an introduction. So if you haven't heard that yet, you can always go to realliferadio.com. And there is a link there at realliferadio.com to listen to the podcasts. Uh, all the shows that we have here on Real Life Radio are archived. They're saved. Uh, it's not just broadcasted out and then disappears into the air. They are saved and then they are released as recordings, as podcasts uh, on Podbean, also iTunes. So you can, you can find the link there to uh, the podcast over at uh, realliferadio.com. And uh, you can find Diana's show there, and she's got a whole lineup every day of the week, different guests, standing guests who join her to talk about travel and faith. So highly recommend it. Um, I had a, a just a, a, a ball talking with her last week. I was actually out of town. I was on vacation. Uh, very nice uh, to go on vacation uh, from time to time. And uh, we had a, a delightful conversation about uh, the Catholic foodie, what it's all about, uh, where I came from, <laughs> all that stuff. And and I got done with a conversation with her and I thought, you know what? I mean, she just totally rocks it on television. And here she is becoming a Catholic radio ninja. You know, that that's just uh, absolutely amazing. So great work. Uh, you can find it over at, um, uh, real, at realliferadio.com. All right. I finally take a breath. How about that? I take a, take a breath and, and, and we're getting ready to take a break in just a couple of minutes. But before we get to the break, uh, let's talk a little bit about the readings. You know, the last uh, two weeks on Mondays, the last two weeks, I have given you some reflections here on the readings from the Mass. And I did that for a very specific reason, because what is this all about? You know, this whole Catholic foodie thing where food meets faith. What is it really all about? It's really all about relationships. You know, it's about relationships and, you know, religion, if you look at religion and and the word where it comes from, our English word religion comes from a word that is Latin and the Latin word really has to do with relationships. And so religion is, is really about our relationship with God. And uh, we can see in our relationship how important in our religion, how important food plays a part. We see that primarily in the Eucharist, but you could also see it throughout the Bible. In the same way, in our relationships within our family, which is the domestic church, uh, we see how important food plays a part. That's what the Catholic foodie really is all about. Those relationships and food is a means to an end. It's a means and that, that, that end really is communion. So we're going to be talking a little bit more about this and about the readings from Mass when we get back. we got to take a break, though. So uh, you are listening to The Catholic Foodie Show right here on You Supported Real Life Radio. We'll be back in just a minute.
Foodie Show, and you supported Real Life Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Young, the Catholic Foodie. I'm excited to be here with you today. It's Monday. <laughs> it's Monday during back to school week. I uh, don't know how you're feeling today, but I'm doing pretty well. You know, it's been an exciting week or so. My family was on vacation uh, all last week. My wife and children uh, had the pleasure of being at the beach from Friday. Let's see, it was Friday, uh, not this past Friday, but the Friday before, uh, all the way until last evening. And uh, I was able to spend both weekends there, kind of extended weekends, three day weekends. But I did have to come back into town last week and uh, and work for a couple, you know, for three days. I came back and worked for three days and went back to visit them. Th- thankfully, thankfully, uh, the the trip is not far. It's only a three hour drive from where I am to uh, to the beach. And uh, uh, well, I should say it's a three hour drive unless there is road construction uh, or accidents. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of those trips back and forth. Uh, one of them uh, ended up taking six hours because of uh, m- major, major road construction. Just bad, bad timing, bad time. Why, why are you going to do road construction like at peak traffic hours? I, I don't get that, you know. But uh, I had to take alternate routes, and my three-hour tour took six hours, you know. Uh, and then another trip, a trip coming back into town uh, to do my work for three days. Uh, I ended ended up, thank God I wasn't involved, but there was an accident on the interstate, pretty bad too. And it must've been about, um, I guess 10 minutes prior to the, to the time I hit that wall of traffic 10, 10, 20 minutes maybe. And, uh, I sat there for almost two hours. It was, uh, unbelievable. So that, that, uh, three hour commute or three hour drive, uh, turned into a five hour drive. So whole lot of, hopefully, hopefully it benefited some of the souls in purgatory. Cause I did a lot of praying while I was in the car, <laughs> praying the rosary and divine mercy chaplet, listening to some good Catholic radio here on you supported real life radio and, uh, and just trying to be patient and grow in virtue. You know, that was very tough, very tough, especially when I had uh, a meeting I was supposed to be present for, I was driving in straight to go straight to a meeting and, uh, and, and ended up having to, to cancel it, to, to miss it. But, oh, well, c'est la vie, right? God is still God. And we, you know, just have to muddle through the best we can here uh, with his grace and with his help. Uh, speaking of grace and help, you know, we had a lot of grace and help coming to us, being fed by the word of God and by the sacrament, the blessed sacrament, uh, the Eucharist, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus at mass yesterday, Sunday. Uh, you know, he does, as I mentioned a couple of weeks back, uh, he does feed us with his word as well as with the blessed sacrament. The church is, uh, has always, always uh, talked about the word of God and, and has held it in in esteem as it does the sacrament of the Lord's body and blood. He, Jesus is present in the, the scriptures. Jesus is the word of God. And when the word is proclaimed, Jesus is there. Matter of fact, when the word of God is proclaimed in the liturgy, the church says that it is as if Jesus himself is speaking to us, especially when the gospels are proclaimed. Now, it would, it would certainly be the case no matter where the reading comes from, the Old Testament as well. He is the word of God. But in particular, the church says when the gospels are proclaimed, it is as if Jesus himself is proclaiming that gospel to us. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And, uh, you know, again, this is the third week, kind of the culmination here of 
these readings from John chapter 6 in the gospel, which we call the bread of life discourse. It's uh, in John's gospel. There is no, um, there is no, uh, um, what is, what am I trying to say here? In the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, each of them gives us the story of the institution of the Eucharist at the Last Supper. John's gospel does not. John, instead, at the Last Supper, he has the final discourse of Jesus, right? Jesus is doing a lot of talking, a lot of teaching at the very end there at the Last Supper. And he does, he has, we have the, the, the washing of the feet is what John gives us at the Last Supper. And so it's not very Eucharistic in that sense. There's no story of the institution of the Eucharist in John's gospel. However, John's gospel is nonetheless very Eucharistic, and we see that happening here in John chapter 6, uh, which takes place right after you know Jesus multiplies the loaves and the fish and feeds 5,000 people. The people are chasing after him, wanting to make him king, and he says, you're not coming after me because simply because of the miracle, but because you ate of the, of the, of the bread, right? You ate of, and you had your fill. And, uh, and so he starts to, to draw them in. And this is, a, I think, where we could look back in the Gospels and see how awesome. I mean, Jesus knows us so well, right? If you feed them, they will come. <laughs> you know, kind of like that uh, Field of Dreams movie, Kevin Costner, right? Hey, this, this baseball diamond he builds out in the middle of nowhere. If you build it, they will come. Well, that's the same thing. Jesus does that in the Gospels. If you feed them, they will come. And uh, I think that's something that we can learn for sure. And uh, I've seen it right here at the Catholic Foodie. Um, people love food and uh, what a wonderful way bringing them in and bringing in. Jesus used to eat with sinners all the time. You know, he's around the table with them. You have food there. You're feeding people. You're meeting them at the table. What a wonderful opportunity to share your faith. What a wonderful opportunity to grow in faith around the table. Uh, but in these, in this reading today and then the readings from yesterday's mass, we're seeing the culmination because Jesus is basically saying that, yes, this bread, right, that he's talking about, this bread of life, he himself, the bread from heaven, that his flesh is real food and his blood is real drink. And uh, we, we've seen, we've kind of, this is a culmination, a culmination uh, of what we've seen the last three Sundays. And before we jump into John's gospel, I want to look back at the, at the first reading because I find something here that's very, very, not only Interesting, but I think very important for me and for you. I did bring this up uh, last Monday, but uh, uh, something is, is certainly worth bringing up again. The reading that we have, uh, the first reading from yesterday's Mass, is from First Kings, and it's the story of Elijah. He is about to; he's out in the desert. He has a, 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 a he's journeying through the desert, right? And uh, an angel comes to him and, and brings him food. And let me just go ahead and read this. It's very short. It says that Elijah went a day's journey into the desert until he came to a broom tree and sat beneath it. He prayed for death, right? Because he's, he's running for his life, right? He's running away, trying to escape. He's praying for death. Uh, praying for death, huh? He says, this is enough, O Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. He lay down and fell asleep under the broom tree. But then an angel touched him and ordered him to get up and eat. Elijah looked and there at his head was a hearth cake and a jug of water. After he ate and drank, he lay down again. But the angel of the Lord uh, came back a second time, touched him and ordered, get up and eat, else the journey will be too long for you. He got up, ate and drank. Then strengthened by that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to the mountain of God, Horeb. 
So that was from 1 Kings. And uh, what strikes me about this, and you can see this in the early church fathers, they wrote about the Eucharist. I mean, I, if you've never read anything from the early church fathers, I highly recommend it. Uh, you could probably find things online. There are, there are some books that you can find. Maybe I'll put a link in the show notes over at catholicfoodie.com for this particular show today, uh, given some resources on where you can find information from the early church fathers on the Eucharist, because they talk about it from different angles. Of course, they from the very, very early, early times of the church, you see it over and over and over again uh, resounded, right? That the fact that this this belief that this really is this Eucharist really is Jesus. It really is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. And uh, so we see from that, that belief is not something that just popped up in the Middle Ages. This is something that goes back to the very, very beginning of the church, to Jesus himself at the Last Supper, right? And, um, but you see the early church fathers talking about the Eucharist in different ways. And one of those ways is as medicine or as food for the journey, right? We're all on a journey to God, the journey of life. And we cannot make this journey without God's grace, without his blessings, without his strength. He has to strengthen us in order for us to make it. And that's what the sacraments really are all about. You know, God is is making us into, he's making us part of his family in baptism. He's strengthening us in different ways through the, through the, the various sacraments and even equipping us, equipping us to to uh, to serve others and to help others in the family of God through uh, through certain sacraments, holy orders, right? So it's a vocational sacrament. The sacrament of marriage is also uh, a, a sacrament of service, a sacrament of a vocational sacrament, right? We are able to help others in the body of Christ, and that's what I, I see here in this first reading is how important it is for us to understand that we need the Eucharist. We need Jesus in the Eucharist because we get strengthened. We're able to 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 make the journey of life in a way that we couldn't otherwise. And it's very important, you know, sometimes, and I think I think we can look back in the history of, of the church and see where there has been from time to time emphasis placed on our sinfulness and our unworthiness as an example here that maybe have, you know, unintentionally even kept us away from the sacraments, right? Um, and it, and it's, it's a shame because God is God and God knows us better than anybody else. And, uh, and when, we, when we are imperfect, when we fall, when we stumble, when we sin, we should be running toward God instead of away from God. But what happens? We're broken on the inside, just like we see Adam and Eve. What did they do when they fell? They went and hid right? They went and they made fig leaves, sewed fig leaves together to make clothes for themselves, to hide themselves. And they went and they hid in the gardens that when God came to find them in the cool of the evening, as he used to do daily, to walk with them and to talk with them and just to commune with them, he couldn't find them. He comes in and, and where are they? They, they, they hid themselves at a shame because they were ashamed. So we should see by reading the gospels, by, by seeing the, 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 the power of God by seeing the message of the gospels, the good news, that when we do fall, we shouldn't run away from God. We should run to him in prayer, first of all, then, then when we can run to him in the sacrament of reconciliation. But that all of this should be the driving force is that we're running to God instead of away from him. And then ultimately we're running to him in the Eucharist. So we're coming up here on a break again. You're listening to The Catholic Foodie Show on you supporting Real Life Radio. We'll be back in just a minute.
more news supporting Real Life Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Young, the Catholic foodie. So excited you're here with me today. We're talking about uh, the bread of life again. Uh, can't can't talk about Jesus enough. You know, we're talking about the bread of life. We're talking about food today. We are, believe it or not, going to get into food. I've got a couple of lists I want to share with you. Uh, I think that'll be very helpful this week for back to school week. But uh, in the meantime, we're getting a little faith, a little injection of faith here from the word of God. And that's, we finished up uh, last uh, segment. We're talking about uh, the first reading from uh, First Kings and uh, how Elijah was told to get up and eat, else the journey will be too long for you. So he got up, he ate and drank, and strengthened by that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to the mountain of God, Horeb. And uh, that's that's a sign for us of uh, the Eucharist and the power of the Eucharist and the need that we have of the Eucharist, that God gives us strength to make it through the, the journey of life. To, to make it through the journey of life uh, that we wouldn't otherwise have. So that's uh, very important. The, the responsorial psalm, of course, kind of echoes the overarching theme for us in these readings, taste and see the goodness of the Lord. That comes from Psalm 34, taste and see the goodness of the Lord. And then another interesting thing I want to point out to you, uh, the second reading before I jump into the gospel, uh, the, the second reading was uh, from uh, Ephesians, St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And it's, it's you know, I just absolutely love how the church pulls all these readings together in the liturgy uh, for every day of the year. But you start to see the golden thread moving throughout, right? The golden thread that weaves here and there that pulls it all together. And it's just beautiful to see this. St. Paul reminded us here, um, you know, you look at it, you read it and ostensibly, ostensibly, right on the surface, it looks like it has nothing to do with the Eucharist, has nothing to do with um you know, the sacraments or or anything like that. But listen to what he says. Very short reading again. Brothers and sisters, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were sealed for the day of of redemption. All bitterness, fury, anger, shouting, and reviling must be removed from you along with all malice and be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving one another as God has forgiven you in Christ. So be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and handed himself over for us as a sacrificial offering to God for a fragrant aroma. So that's St. Paul to uh, the Ephesians. And what do I get out of this? This is... um, I said this, I think I went off on a really long tangent uh, last Monday on this, I didn't intend to, but you know, sometimes we we really, I think, especially today in America, we are so individualistic, right? It's just part of our culture. It's how we grew up. Uh, individualism is just the the lens through which we see the world. Everything revolves around me. Everything is weighed against how it affects me. But you have to understand that when you look back in the history of the church, when you look back at the Gospels, when you look back at the Old Testament, they didn't have that lens. They didn't see, they did not see life through the lens of individualism. They had a very keen understanding that was very deeply heartfelt, very, very ingrained, deeply ingrained in them of being a part of a family and being part of a community, being part even in the Old Testament of a tribe. And so that that was the lens through which they would see the world. And so if you, if you look and you read the scriptures, it, we tend to put our own understanding, our own viewpoint, our own perspective onto the writers of the Old Testament and New Testament. But that we can't do that. We, we need to try to see it from their perspective. Even if you look through the history of the church and how the church has approached liturgy, how the church has approached the scriptures, how the church has approached uh, prayer even – 
Uh, very, very different historically than what you're going to experience today, the way that we typically experience life today, because you didn't have this rampant individualism prior to, you know, the last whatever hundred years or, or however long it's been. Uh, so the way we see things today isn't necessarily a hundred percent right, or I should say, isn't a hundred percent clear. Right. We, we have blind spots. We have blind spots because we're looking at it simply through our own from our own viewpoint as individuals. So when you look at something like the liturgy, as I mentioned last week, uh, the liturgy is not private prayer. And I think a lot of times we we tend to approach it that way. Now, ideally, it, ideally, perhaps it should be the coming together of public prayer and private prayer. It should be communal prayer and private. We should bring to our to the liturgy the 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 the, the strength of devotion that we may feel when we are in private prayer. However, even if you feel like not particularly great on a on a given day, and you're at mass, that's okay. Because it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about us being there together as the body of Christ, worshiping and thanking God the Father. That's really what it's about. So it's a communal act of worship. It is the worship of the body uh, that, that we, are, we are together as we come together as the body of Christ and, and give thanks to the Father. So it's communal uh, in nature. And that's very important. And so you see that, what is Paul talking about in this reading to the Ephesians? That the way that we treat each other is extremely important. You know, we don't ever go to God alone. We never do go to God alone. Uh, when we turn to God, we're always part of God's family. We're always part of our own families. We're always part of the church. We can't isolate ourselves or separate ourselves from that. We can't relate with God in a vacuum. That never works. What does John say later in his, in his um, John, the beloved apostle, right? In his other letters, the first, second, third letter of John, he talks about how God is love. God is love. And you can't say that you love God who you can't see and not love your brother who you can see. Because to do that, you're lying. <laughs> he was just so, you know, frank about all that stuff. Uh, but you're lying, you know, so you have to love God and neighbor. That's the call. Those are the two greatest commandments, love God and neighbor. You can't love one and not love the other. And so Paul is trying to be very clear here. He says, okay, you're part of the body of Christ. You know, you're, you're, you are children of God now through baptism, children of God. You are one with Christ the Son. And so you need to, 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 to act like him, to live like he lived, right? To live in love. Christ loved us and handed himself over for us. That's a sacrificial offering. You can almost read Eucharist there, right? Because it is the sacrifice of the mass, a sacrificial offering to God for a fragrant aroma. So what are we supposed to do? Be imitators of God. How do we do that? We got to sacrifice ourselves. Part of that sacrifice is being at mass, and, and sacrifice in our individualism to join together with the body to give thanks to God the Father. But part of that on a practical level is also letting go of all bitterness, fury, anger, shouting, reviling, right? To get rid of all those things, to get rid of all malice and to be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving one another as God has forgiven you in Christ. That's, that's what Paul is talking about. Beautiful reading, very short, but it kind of encapsulates the practical aspect of what it means to really be part of the church, to really be part of the body of Christ. I think I may have mentioned this before when I was in the seminary with uh, Mother Teresa's priest, the missionaries of charity fathers, 
she had a, a, a sign. There were a couple of signs that you would find outside of all the chapels around the world of the missionaries of charity. Mother Teresa would have these signs outside the chapel. One of them was, you know, to remove the sandals from your feet for this is holy ground. And that was one of the traditions that the missionaries of charity around the world have is that you always enter the chapel barefoot. So it's kind of funny, you know, you go to a chapel anywhere in the world that's part of the missionary charity family. And you're going to see all these sandals outside the, the chapel door, you know, and it's kind of neat, you know, it's just a bunch of sandals and uh, everybody inside they're, they're barefoot. Well, uh, another sign I recall, and I, I'm not going to get this hundred percent, you know, worded hundred uh, percent right, but the gist of it is uh, something along the lines of when you approach the, the altar of God and you find that you have something against your brother, you know, leave your gift there, go and be reconciled, then can come back. And the, the gist and the wording, that was the sentiment, right? The wording behind it was something along the lines of, you know, you can't love your, your, you know, God who you can't see if you haven't been loving your brother who you can see. So to be reconciled that when we come into this chapel, you know, the tabernacle is here. We're going to pray. Maybe it's a holy hour or we have mass is about to be celebrated. You can't enter here and, and think that you're okay, that everything's fine. If you've got some, some beef with your brother. Right. And so you need to kind of, you, you got to make sure you understand that you're coming in together. You're both here. God loves me infinitely. I can't even begin to comprehend how much God loves me, but here's the deal. The person that I like the least in life, God loves that person just as much as he loves me. So what do I have to do? I mean, the challenge for me is to put into practice what Paul is talking about here to get rid of all bitterness, anger, envy, malice, and all of that, and to be kind and forgiving. So that's from, uh, that is from uh, Paul's uh, letter to the Ephesians. And then finally, just, just briefly, this gospel from John. Again, what is Jesus saying? I am the bread of life, right? I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the man in the desert, but they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. And we see this, Jesus being very, very clear here. But guess what? He gets even clearer. <laughs> if you read a little bit further, John chapter six is a long chapter. If you've never read the whole thing from beginning to end, I recommend it. Especially if you want to grow in faith and, and understanding of the Eucharist and what it's all about. Uh, from beginning to end, it's a long, uh, long chapter, and he gets even more uh, detailed, more specific when he says, uh, and we have two more, two more weeks, I believe, of readings from John chapter six. So that's what you, you ought to tell you something. It is a long chapter, but uh, I, I highly recommend reading it to, to help you grow in faith uh, in, the, in the Eucharist and the power of the Eucharist and what the Eucharist is, who the Eucharist is, and, and the necessity that we have, as the first reading says, to receive the Eucharist often because it is food for the journey. It helps to strengthen us, helps us to bring us really on this journey that we have that we're taking home to our Father in heaven. I did say that we're talking food this uh, this episode. We, should, we certainly are going to talk food today on The Catholic Foodie. You are listening to The Catholic Foodie Show here on You Supported Real Life Radio. We do have to take a break, but we will be back in just a minute. Stay tuned.
you supported Real Life Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Young, the Catholic foodie. Very excited to be here with you today and uh, very happy that you are here with me. Having a conversation today about food and faith. You know, we talked uh, about the scriptures earlier in the show, and today we are now we're talking about uh, a little bit of food. You know, I like to um, I, I like to uh, save links. You know, a lot of times uh, I'm online, and I, I love to use Evernote. If you, I don't know if you're familiar with that uh, particular app, it's a wonderful little tool. It's like my digital brain. It helps me to remember all kind of things, and also to save uh, things. If if I come across articles that I want to read, I don't have time to read them. I will uh, send them to Evernote. And so when I do have a chance, I can always just, instead of opening them up in a browser, I can go right there into Evernote and read them and they're archived. If I want to make notes, I can make notes on them and all that kind of fun stuff. So um, I was uh, over the weekend trying to go through some of the the food related um, articles and links that uh, I have been saving. And I came across a couple that I thought would be very useful uh, for us to to discuss, uh, especially this week. You know, we're getting into uh, the back to school time back to school week and all of that. And, and I came across this uh, particular article, which it, 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 it well, it's, it's one way, I guess you'd say it's, it is a way of, of saving money. We talked about that a couple of, about three or four weeks ago, we had a, a show about uh, different ways that you could save money, money while still putting um, delicious, wholesome, healthy food on the table for your family. And uh, this is kind of along the, the same lines here. So I wanted to uh, to share this with you. This is an article. Uh, it's over at don'twastethecrumbs.com, which is a pretty cool, pretty cool uh, uh, website name, I think. Uh, don'twastethecrumbs.com. Even in my book, uh, Around the Table of the Catholic Foodie Middle Eastern Cuisine, I do talk about the fact that I hate to waste anything. And uh, a lot of the, the, the vegetables that I use, uh, carrots, uh, onions, uh, uh, mushrooms, I don't know about mushrooms because I use all those actually at the time, green onions, leeks, anything like that that I would use, garlic, uh, the, the uh, my mind's going blank here, but the, the peelings, you know, the peels from, from garlic. All of that stuff, when I'm cooking, uh, chopping these vegetables up to be added to something else, uh, I save the tips, I save the leftovers, I save the, you know, whatever would be typically thrown away. I save that in uh, uh, resealable plastic bags in the freezer because I, they're great for stocks. I can make stocks uh, for my gumbos and for my soups and all of that. I can make a stock uh, out of all the, the the parts that really is just the refuse. You know, it's the stuff you're going to throw away. Uh, but it, it, it's wonderful to be able to save that and use it. So I highly recommend it. And, and that, that's something I write about in the cookbook. Well, this is similar. And I've heard of this before, this particular article, but I've never tried it. And, and now after reading that, I am eager to do so. Here's the title. 10 foods that regrow in water alone. <laughs> Think about that. 10 foods that regrow with water alone. I was shopping uh, at the grocery store, at my local store right there down the street from my house, about uh, two or three months ago. And I was trying to, I, I'm, right now, I don't know what, I think it was celery. I was looking for celery and uh, wanting to get fresh. I'm kind of picky about celery because I'm not a, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to eat it raw. I don't like celery personally, but I love to use it when I'm cooking different things. As long as it's cooked down, it's, it's, it's okay. I love the flavor that comes through when it's used, you know, properly for the given dish. Well, the guy who uh, was head of the produce department was actually out restocking at the time. 
And we got into a conversation about something. I don't know what it was. And uh, he saw me with the the celery in his hand, in my hand. I wasn't in his hand, it was in my hand. <laughs> he saw me and he says, uh, he says, you know, he says, a lot of people don't know this, but you know, you can, you can save some of that celery right there and stick it in water and you won't ever have to buy celery again. I was like, what are you talking about? And he goes, yeah, he says, a lot of these vegetables that we sell here at the store, he says, you can, if you have the room and the space and the time to do it, you can grow them at your house. You don't have to plant them. You can grow them right there on your counter at home if you wanted to. So I was fascinated by that, but never really followed up with it. Well, this is, this particular article is, um, is, well, it, gives you the, the, the how-to. It tells you how, how to do this stuff. So she says that the woman who wrote this, uh, see if I can find her name. Her name is Tiffany. I don't have a last name to give you yet, but I will put a link in the show notes over at catholicfoodie.com so you can read this yourself. But she says, last year, my stepmom <clears throat> one-upped me in frugality by showing me how to regrow lettuce in water. Seriously, I had no clue you could ever even do that. If you've been following me on Instagram, <clears throat> excuse me, you've been uh, watching my water garden grow and uh, do pretty well, I might add. As it turns out, lettuce isn't the only food item that can regrow in water. In fact, it's just one of several veggies that can grow without dirt and without much effort too. It's great news for those buying organic vegetables, but even if you aren't, it's a simple way to stretch those grocery dollars just a teeny bit further. So why should you consider growing food in water? There are plenty of reasons, but the most important ones to me are, number one, it's absolutely free. <laughs> you already bought the vegetable. Uh, all it costs is a few tablespoons of water, but if you're smart about it, you can reuse water you've already used for boiling pasta or while you were waiting for the shower to get hot. That's very interesting. That would be super frugal uh, ideas to reuse that water. Um, it'll trim your grocery budget. Granted, you won't get a huge harvest out of any of these items, but it's still food and every little bit helps, even if it's only a few leaves of lettuce to scoop your tuna salad with. Uh, is food you didn't have to buy. And then three, it makes organics more affordable. If you start with organic food, you can still grow organic, right? So you'll reap the benefits of the organic greens without actually having to pay for them again. Uh, and it's easy. Uh, do I have to explain this further? She says, I mean, stick the plant in water and watch it grow. Really? It's that easy. <laughs> so this is interesting. And, and so these are some of the vegetables that, uh, that, that she has, um, you done this with made made a water garden. I'm I'm fascinated by this. Absolutely fascinated. She says, you know, not only this is a, I guess some general guidelines that'll be uh, pretty important if you're trying this for the first time. And I'm making a note because I will be trying this for the first time. She says, be sure to check the water every three to four days to ensure that a there's enough water and b there's no uh, rogue lettuce pieces uh, falling off and sliming up the bowl. Uh, the size of the container should be relative to the food you're growing. So lettuce and celery should be in shallow bowls while green onions and lemongrass can be in taller, skinny glasses. Think outside the box for containers, you know, glass jars, small vases, storage bowls, shot glasses, anything can be used so long as it is appropriate for the plant. 
And then you can regrow multiples of the same plant as long as you're not overcrowding the area. So you can put one to two green onions that'll fit in a shot glass and three to four lemongrass will fit in a small vase. So that's pretty neat, huh? Pretty neat. Here are the the 10 foods uh, that she suggests you can regrow in water alone. Uh, Bok choy. If you're into bok choy, you can uh, regrow that. Just cut off the bottom of the stalk and place it in a small bowl of water. New growth begins from the center in one to two days with significant growth in less than a week. So if you're into bok choy, that's something that's that's quick and easy and you get significant growth back. Uh, Cabbage, you place the root end in a shallow bowl of water and watch it grow from the center. Uh, Be sure to harvest on the smaller side to get the best flavor. Uh, Carrot greens, this is interesting. Not the carrots, right? She says you can't regrow an actual carrot, but you can regrow the greens. And those greens can be used for a lot of different things. Uh, You can place the cutoff end of a carrot in a shallow bowl of water and then harvest the greens as they grow and add to the salads. Um, She even has a recipe on her site for a a pesto that that she makes with the uh, carrot greens. Uh, This reminds me, I do have some recipes in my cookbook and around the table, the Catholic Foodie Middle Eastern cuisine that use greens, greens that you wouldn't normally think about, like as an example, dandelion leaves, uh, make a great salad. You can cook them down, matter of fact, with onions and, and a little lemon juice, salt, pepper, and uh, they are delicious. And it, it, it could be free. If you have dandelions around, you can pick them yourself. So that's what I think of when I, when I saw this, uh, the carrot greens, but yeah, you can do that. That's pretty cool. Celery already mentioned earlier on, she says, cut off the bottom two inches of the stalk and place in a small bowl of water. New growth begins from the center in uh, three to four days. And it may take a while for a full stalk of celery to grow, but you'll get great growth in the center for flavoring dishes. If you uh, don't know what to do with the leaves, dehydrate them and make your own dried celery powder. That's interesting. Fennel. Fennel is something else that you can uh, grow out in water alone. You cut off the bottom one inch of the base so the roots are intact and you place it in a small bowl of water. Garlic chives are the greens that grow from a clove of garlic and can be added to dishes that traditionally call for green onion chives like salads and baked potatoes. You place a garlic clove in a small cup and add water to the bottom of the bowl without submerging. Okay, without submerging. Roots will grow in a few days and shoots will grow shortly after. Tip, here's a tip. Garlic starts to lose its pungent flavor when the shoots grow. So if you find a rogue clove in your fridge or pantry starting to shoot, place it in a cup of water to grow chives instead of throwing the clove away. Very handy, very frugal. And then here's one of the ones that's my favorite, green onions. I love green onions. Love to cook with them. Love them in salads. Uh, Just they're, They're little flavor savers. You know, I love those things. Keep the white part of the green onion and any roots that are still intact. Place in a glass with water and you'll have never ending supply of fresh green onion. I love this. This is a great, great opportunity. The, the only challenge for me is finding the, t- the place to put it. You know, I, I, you know, we have limited counter space, so I don't want to take up my counter too much. But I love this idea. I love this concept. I need to c- get creative.
creative, perhaps, with with the space that I do have. Leaks, uh, she says, cut off the uh, the bottom two to three inches. All right, so you're going to have uh, leeks are possible, lemongrass. You're also going to cut off the bottom of two to three inches. And then lettuce, different types of lettuce you can do as well. The link for this will be in the show notes over at catholicfoodie.com. Be sure to check those out. And I want to thank you very much for staying with me, for listening today here at the Catholic Foodie Show. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Until then, bon appetit.